Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. Uh, my name is Megan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lauren. Hey, sisters. Hey. I'm a sister I can't too. Believe- Yes, Michelle is here. Well, you basically are. So our guest today is Michelle Deloach, and she's been, this is Megan's best friend since third grade. Hey, Mish. Hello. Hi. I've been listening to you guys every week, and I feel like I'm part of your fam, so I'm glad that I actually get to be on here and talk to you guys. Yay. I know. Yeah. You are part of the fam. You are Am part I? Of the fam. I'm yeah. honored. Yeah. I'm honored. Yeah. Today, yeah. we're just going to pretend like we're sitting around like we always used to do and chit-chatting. It'll be yeah. so fun. Life's changed a little bit. Yes. I know. Yeah. It really has, but we're all still the same. And that's the best thing about having friends this long is, I don't know, you don't even feel like you have to really talk because you just know each other so well. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Like love that. <laughs> Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, it's kind of crazy because me and Michelle have been friends since third grade. And little did I know, I guess I was really good at picking friends at a young age (laughs) because Michelle is a badass. Um, (laughs) Does that make you feel uncomfortable? (laughs) I... Yes, because that's just what I would say about you. I'm like, no, oh no, no, that's, that's you. But <laughs> So basically, we're doing an episode today about starting a business, and we immediately thought of Michelle as a great person to interview about that because she has started her own business in 2009. So Michelle started selling dresses door-to-door on her college campus when she started her company, Revelry in 2009. And then in recent years, some would refer to Revelry as an overnight success, which with landing a spot as being labeled one of America's top fastest growing companies by Inc. Magazine in 2019, which is awesome. Michelle prides herself on never taking outside funding, which she should, and growing her company safely and keeping a healthy margin for creating a business that will have longevity. She will also share one of her biggest failures today, which I think is great to hear when you're starting a business, a time when she didn't listen to her key advice and lost big time. Uh, Yeah. So thank you, Michelle, for being here. We can't wait to hear more about your business (laughs) and you. Thanks for having me. I could talk about starting a business all day. It's like one of my favorite things to get People, um, sometimes I have people in the office that come and just want to, they ask if they can come in and just chat a little. And it's one of my faves, especially talking to like students and stuff, because I was never good at school and didn't know what I was, what on earth I was going to do with my life. And the fact that I am where I am today is like really unbelievable when I think about how it was growing up. So yeah, well, why don't you jump in and kind of tell us like a history of how it all began? Right. So, um, well, I always kind of had a history in fashion because my mom is an amazing, an amazing, talented artist and seamstress. And we had a sewing machine at uh, at our disposal in the house. And uh, my poor mom, I broke her sewing machine so many times trying to make sequin <laughs> tube tops. Megan, do you remember the yeah. infant concert we went to? And yep. I made a sequin tube top because I couldn't find anything else that would do. <laughs> so I've always kind of, I don't have any formal training in design or apparel, um, but I've always kind of like been able to like whip something up on yeah, the fly. If you I even made your dress prom or something. dress. My mom, my amazing, talented mother, 
made my prom and homecoming dresses. Which oh yeah, is super I remember cool. that. Yeah. So um, yeah, thanks to her and some of her uh, talent that got passed on to me, I have been able to make something of it, a business of it. So when I was in college, I was about to graduate and didn't know what I wanted to do with myself and um, just couldn't see myself in the corporate world, which I'm sure a lot of people have problems with. All of us millennials are like, want to be free roaming, free spirits. And, but like, how do you actually make that happen? Well, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work to get there. I were, so I wanted to, I had an idea, I had several ideas. And one, the one that I pursued was, um, I I thought I was going to sell game day dresses and like, collegiate themed colors yeah but um, so I was graduating and it was like kind of a trend to start looking cuter at football games and at the time I was dating a guy who played football and I hated going to the football games and I was like I might as well make something cute to wear so I did and people were raving about it so I thought when I graduated I wanted to start a game day clothing company yeah I remember that still to this day the cutest little game day dress she basically made (laughs) like you know those you know, t-shirts for football games. She made it in to an actual really cute dress. It was before I feel like people were dressing so cute to football too. So it was, it was back in the day when like all you wore was t-shirts and I was like, yeah, uh, let's make this a little bit more interesting for yeah, <laughs> aesthetically. <laughs> um, so. I loved those dresses. I wore yes, them all the time. Kristen, you're so you were, you would rock that UT burnt orange. I remember you look yeah. smoking. Um, thank you for wearing. <laughs> so I was graduating and I'm like, well, how am I going to do this? I don't have any money. Like I, I was like, should I go to design school? Like mom, dad, you, I know that you just, I'm so lucky. I'm fortunate that my parents paid for my college and like, Hey, now I want to go to grad school. Um, no, like so I started, um, I was waiting tables and I had this idea of this company and, um, I was like, well, how do I get money to, cause you have to manufacture stuff to sell it. And yeah. I thought, well, maybe I could sell to sorority groups and they could buy these cute dresses instead of t-shirts because sororities buy the bananas out of t-shirts, um, for events. Yeah. And, um, so I spent a lot of time developing the product. I found, I just Googled and researched manufacturers. I found somebody in LA. And so I had all the, I was like, okay, I've got somewhere I can make this clothing. Now I need the money to do it. So I went and sold, uh, I went to sorority houses door to door and tried to get them to place these group orders. And I learned a very important key first lesson. You need to find out what people want. You can't just like think you know what people want. You need to listen to people. You need to get feedback. And I really think it was a blessing that I had to start off with no money because if I started off with money, I would have developed this product that nobody would have wanted because guess what? When I started going door to door and I'd spent a year developing the product and I'd been working full time, nobody liked it. How tragic is that? Um, And that's like, yeah, I was like, okay, well, good thing I didn't invest in this and it's just been like, trying to make it happen. Yeah, it was just my time. So I redesigned some product and I made six group orders that year with sororities. So I sold um, probably like $30,000 of merchandise. And then the next year I was like, I got to figure out how to get online. And so the next year I did like 180,000 in sales, I think. And then the next year I did um, close to half a million and it was just me at that time. And I was like, I thought I had just like had it made that third year with 
profiting 50% of that. Like I thought things were just yeah, <laughs> over the moon easy. And I was just going to be this businesswoman for the rest of my life. But you know what? Markets change and what customers want change. And my numbers went down the next year. And I thought, you know, holy shit, I've got to switch it up. What am I going to do next? Yeah. Yeah. So it kind How of did you me. kind of stay motivated in those first few years when it was just you on your own? Because I feel like that would be really hard to just be by yourself with this business and like going was, door to door. And to not get Yeah, that. it was really hard because I, so I was working full time at Nordstrom and I didn't talk about what I was doing when I was at Nordstrom. Like I kept it to myself because I didn't want people to like I don't know. I'm just always too self-conscious and what other people think. And so I want to be discouraged maybe. Yeah. I didn't want to like, you know, tell people I was trying to start a clothing line and stuff. So I kind of kept a lot of it to myself. And I, I don't, it's hard to know what, I think what kept me motivated, motivated is I wanted to work for myself Yeah, and I wanted to run my own business and I couldn't see it any other way. And I was like, I'm, if I saw 30 dresses or 3,000 or 30,000, like, I'm going to do this and make it work. Yeah. And um, I think just not having the confidence that I would ever make it in corporate America kept Kept driving me. That's cool. Yeah. We talk about, we've talked about on a few episodes, just the importance of our why. And it kind of sounds like, you know, whether you had thought through at that point why exactly you wanted to work for yourself um is but at least you knew that you did want to work for yourself so it's almost like you just stayed focused on that deep desire and the big picture goal and we talk about that a lot so that's awesome yeah and a lot of people that like I'm a very different designer than a lot of people a lot of people a lot of people assume like oh so you wear what you design and I'm actually like no I prefer like leather pants over like fluffy dresses. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like I mean I love the designs that we do. It's just I don't design for myself. I design for a market. And I think that's mm-hmm. a big like while you have to find what makes you passionate, there's there's never going to be something that you find that's all passion. I mean there are parts of it that you have to be catering to a market and you have to, you know, do the grunt work and have to make something happen. And I think a lot of people think it sounds nice being self-employed and running a business, but it's a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. I mean, it's, yeah, and you don't really know it until you're in it. And I think just being willing to take on whatever task it was going to be and being, I'm a really big multitasker. Like if I had to do just one thing, I would probably roll over and die. So yeah. I think that that has helped me be a business owner or be an entrepreneur and still a business owner at this point. And also like running a team at this point. It's yes. You got to wear yeah. a thousand hats. Totally. <laughs> is, um, yeah. You guys all know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I think too, the, uh, the, one of the beautiful things in that is that, or that I admire you for is that you might not have, you know, had the experience or, or even knowledge of how you were going to make what you wanted to happen, but you stuck at it and you just, you just did it and learn. It kind of sounds learned a lot of lessons as you went and kept your ears open to your customers and your clients and, and followed that. And so I think that that is 
super admirable that you just kind of dove in and went for it. Cause I think a lot of times that's what it takes to get to the next level. So yeah. that's great. Right. It takes years. I mean, this isn't like people, like I've said, they refer to the, you know, the company in the more recent years with our big growth. It's like an overnight success, but it's really not. It's all those years of work that it was just me on the hustle and on the grind and like learning how to run a business at a small scale. That's really what's, I mean, it was years. It was, it was seven years of running a small business until we had a larger growth point in the past um, four. Yeah. So it's so important for others to hear. Yes. Because from the outside, you know, people for don't realize that, wait a second, you know, seven years of, they put it on dirt work. Yeah, they put it on a pedestal. I mean, I run a I run a warehouse. I have a fifty six um thousand square foot, or excuse me, fifty six hundred <laughs> very different numbers there. A fifty six hundred square foot office, and we run a warehouse. And I always tell my warehousing team, like, I've packed a box or two. Don't don't even try to second yeah. guess that. Oh because, my gosh, like, I, I know remember, how to pack a box. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember your first your house. Yeah, being full of boxes. And I was like, whoa, what's going on in here? Everything. So a lot of people are too quick to outsource. I'd say that's my biggest critique for other because I mean, what's the percentage startups don't last over like three years, I think like, like 90% stop after three years, or I don't know, there's some percentage floating around that somebody came up with. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) everybody's probably heard it if they've looked at, you know, entrepreneurship. But It's because people are too quick to start hiring. Like I did so much by myself for so many years. Like it's crazy. I mean, I was making six figures before I hired somebody. Um, I was profiting six figures before I hired somebody for like two years, I think. And um, I think people are too quick to start outsourcing. And I mean, it depends what your goal is. I mean, do people have different goals? Do you want to get funding and go big or go home? Or do you want to... And that's, I feel like getting funding and going big or go home and doing all of that's kind of more of like a lottery ticket. I was always more interested in running and like building my business slower and methodically and like really focusing on the profit margin and the longevity of the business. That's always been really important to me. So Michelle, how did you take it? So you mentioned, you know, it started off as game day dresses and then it went to sorority dresses. How did it move into, cause you know, you're known for bridesmaid dresses and now wedding. Um, so all things wedding. So how did it kind of switch over? Like, what was that process like and how long ago was that? So that process was probably about five years ago and it was a dark time in my life. (laughs) Um, I'd gone from like thinking I was like the jam and I was going to have it made to my sales started decreasing and I started doing everything I could and um, things weren't changing. And I thought, man, I markets and I learned my first big lesson probably five years into my business that markets change and markets pivot. And if you don't keep up with it, you're going to go out of business. So I thought, okay, what do my customers need next? They need bridesmaids dresses, right? Because people graduate from college. I have this huge customer basis already. And we had a fair amount of people that asked us about bridesmaids dresses um, because it was the next chapter of life. And it was kind of the same frustrations they dealt with group outfitting um, elsewhere. I I think I even asked you when I was getting married, I was like, I need a bridesmaids dress from you. And you were like, 
I'm on it. We're making them. And I was like, no way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, people have been asking us for a while because we did all of the, we made outfitting groups of women a lot easier with like lots of different sizing and length options. And um, so we were just like a really great spot for group outfitting for formal wear. So the products that I had for sorority were too casual to be bridesmaids dresses. So I really had to like dive deep and and I spent money on trying to advertise and trying to figure out bridesmaids dress. But, you know, I listened to my market and what they needed were more formal gowns than what I had currently with my selection. That meant new factories, new um, profit margins, new, like totally new sourcing, new everything. So I spent a few years um, doing like product development and finding the right partners. So I actually had a brief partnership with some um, some of the largest uh, bridal uh, brands in the U.S. And it actually kind of like helped escalate that situation. Uh, the partnership dissolved pretty, pretty quickly. And we went on to launching a bride, a br- the Bridesmaids brand that really kind of was dead for the first bit after we launched it. And then all of a sudden, it just made a turn and we our numbers just skyrocketed. I mean, we were doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month out of uh, my apartment. And whoa, we started hiring. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, okay, now we really have to hire. I remember her apartment. It was just, you would go there. It was just it was an office building basically in her apartment. It was just like boxes everywhere. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and at the time, so my husband had been a business owner and he had recently sold uh, the portion of his business to pursue other things. And he was kind of like working from home trying to like, he had a couple of other things, a couple of other irons in the fire. What's that? Praise is that it? Yeah, <laughs> I, some, I, I know what you're saying. He has some hot irons going, and the bridesmaid dress brands just started blowing up. So he actually started helping us, and then we needed more help. And so then it became all of a sudden on a daily basis, my husband, me, and three people are working out of our apartment, and we became we became business buddies quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, oh my gosh, Michelle, what? What were the, whenever you, let's jump to when you hired those first three people, what were the responsibilities that you chose to delegate to them? And also, how did you choose those responsibilities? Were they something, were they stuff that you just did not like to do or that you felt was more of a strength that that could be passed on to somebody that was better at it? How, tell us about that. That's a great question because you can't just pass off things that you don't like to do. Um, I, although that would sound great. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Um, I did a lot of things I didn't like to do for a lot of years. <laughs> and then I think, so I actually had a hire before the Bridesmaid brand took off. I had a fulfillment center. Um, so the first few years I fulfilled out of my house and then I had a fulfillment center, which is a third party shipping company. It's like a company that houses multiple brands and they ship for you. So I had that and I had one, I think my fourth year in business, I hired a part-time customer service rep to help me keep up with customer service emails. And that was something that was really hard to do because I am super, super adamant and like I'm customer service crazy. Like 
we keep our peeps happy. And so I found that this amazing gal who worked part-time for years and she was there during the, when we launched Bridesmaid and it just blew up. And so she started working full-time for us, which was so amazing. So the first thing I hired out for was customer service. Cool. Yeah, just because of sheer, we need we somebody need. to respond to all. I, yeah, I can't imagine having to ship everything and then also responding to all the customer service. Right. Well, so we had uh, I had outsourced shipping also at that by that time. I think my third year in business, I had a fulfillment center. Um, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, cool. yeah, no way. <laughs> third year was we were having um, the third yeah. party shipper do all the shipping and then. I think the fourth year I hired the customer service rep. So yeah. how did you, um, with work, you, so it's crazy that you worked the whole time, full time while doing all this. Were, is that how you were able to create the dresses by, you know, ma- manufacturing the dresses when, you know, obviously you weren't making income from the very beginning? Well, so I right? structured my sales. So that's why I went to the sororities is because they would place group orders and they would pay in advance. So oh, I could smart. get right. So that's why I was like, I need, I need cash flow. I need something to fund my purchase orders from the factory. So I went to the sororities because they would buy in groups to help purchase the game day apparel. I was, I thought selling sorority dresses would be a side thing, and I was going to use that money to fund the purchase order for the game day apparel. And the game day apparel never sold. It sat in my house for, it actually sat at that fulfillment center for a few years too. Um, and then the sorority need just kind of took off. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, that's awesome. Like, it's like one thing failed and I feel like a lot of people would just stop there. Like, oh, you know, it didn't work and I'm just going to move on. But it said, it's like, you know, you kept um, changing it up and kept going. Uh, like, at least three times. Right. right. Yeah. Keep, oh, yeah. I keep, thinking, I keep thinking of that Friends episode when they're like, pivot, pivot. <laughs> Probably nobody knows what I'm talking about, but they're trying to move a couch up the stairs. Oh, yes, and, yes. And <laughs> yeah. Ross keeps saying, pivot, pivot. pivot. It's pivot. like, Michelle's really good at pivoting. Oh, yeah. Sure. You have to pivot. My husband and I talk, you have to pivot every three years in a business. And if you don't pivot every three years, your sales are going to start going down because you didn't preemptively yeah. Assume that there was going to be a pivot. It's preemptively a word. You didn't assume that there was going to be a pivot at some point. So yeah, pivoting and self-education are, are always like two big things I talk about with peeps. Like you just got to teach yourself everything. You got to figure it out. I made my first website and it's just like, you got to figure it out. When you're starting a business, you can't pay somebody to make a website. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's really easy to try to source things out, but you yeah, I think you got to try that, to do everything I you can. <laughs> I think that we are we can do so much more than what we give ourselves credit for, just for different barriers, whether it's fear or just to, you know the, that lack of knowledge. But um, I love the perseverance that you've shown, and that's why you are where you are today, Michelle. I wanted to also this is kind of backing up a little bit to how it all began, but. And you've sort of, I think, answered this, but I was curious at the time when all this got started, even when you, your vision was first with the sorority stuff and game day merchandise, did you at that time, did you see, just for those listeners out there that might be have an idea in their mind, um, or maybe they know that they want to take the entrepreneur 
route and they don't even have an idea yet in mind, but did you, was there a gap in the marketplace at that time or were there competitors that you saw that maybe you were thinking, Hey, I want to do that, but I want to put my own twist to it and make it better or, or your way. Um, or that's a really great question. I can actually, yeah, I can totally relate to that because when I start, when I had the idea for the game day dresses, there was not anybody doing anything like it, not even close. And I had an idea. So I had several ideas when I was, it was my last semester in college. I was thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do when I graduated? And I had an idea for a suitcase company uh, for cute suitcases, which they actually do now. (laughs) Oh yeah. I had so many ideas. I can't even like, I was just thinking about anything that I thought I could sell. I was like, okay, I think that there's a bigger need for like stylish suitcases. And then I had this game day dress idea and, um, oh my gosh, I had this purse idea. I've had, I had a lot of ideas and I was like, okay, what I I figured out, I knew I wanted to work for myself and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out these, a bunch of different products. And then I'm going to see like what there's a need for and like how I can sell it. And it just kind of happened organically, like to that for me, it worked to not be like stuck into the idea of a certain thing and just kind of like organically let the products develop as the market evolved. And I my, I mean, the biggest, the biggest challenge that I had was money. So I had to figure out how I was going to fund these purchase orders. And so it was, I mean, it was a big blessing in disguise that I didn't have money for the purchase orders. And probably two years after that, or maybe a year after that, when I was already going and I'd already made my first purchase order, there were two companies that came on the market for game day dress clothing. One of them was in Austin and one of them was out of Oklahoma, right in our back door. And I had quickly realized, okay, game day stuff is not working. It's not for me. And I had pivoted to the sorority And, um, I still had like a little game day thing on my website, but it wasn't like the like focus of what I was doing. And, um, so there were people doing it like shortly after me, I think that, and they had the same story as me. They were graduating and saw a need for cuter things to wear to football games. So I guess it was just, it's when girls wear like dresses and cowboy boots. And that was like the thing. Yeah. The Texas thing. (laughs) Texas and Oklahoma. (laughs) I feel like you still see it. Like when I go back to TCU games, it's they've upped the game a little bit, but. Oh, they're like cool girls now in college. They're like wearing like, I don't know. I think you have. I'm like, yeah, it's it's definitely different. Well, I feel like um, it's interesting. You said you had all of these ideas, but I feel like it was, uh, I could be wrong, but I feel growing up, I always just saw you into fashion and into dresses. And to me, you were always making your own clothes. So I feel like it was only natural for you to go into um, making apparel or clothing. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny you remember that. Um, I, yeah, I think it was kind of like, I, I, my, my parents are self-employed. And so, I mean, much like you guys growing up with an entrepreneurial father, like I always saw my dad's a doctor and has his uh, own practice and my mom's the office manager. So they run a small business and I, I watched my parents for years run a small business together. And um, so I think I just 
kind of like always had that as an inspiration as growing up. And, you know, on the weekends, we would go up to the office while my parents worked or whatever when I was little. And I just kind of always saw the family business yeah. mindset. And I, it's funny, I remember in elementary school selling these like friendship bracelets on the bus for like a quarter <laughs> or something. Awesome. And my mom, I remember my mom found out that I was like selling them on the bus. I had this little like plastic thing that I put all the different colors in. And I remember I told my mom I was charging a quarter for them. And she was like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much that yarn costs? I And I bought you that yarn. You better charge more. <laughs> and so I remember, funny. I will not name who it is, but I remember somebody complained about my prices. And <laughs> I told them that they didn't know how much the yarn cost. <laughs> that is so funny. So That's I don't know. Crazy. I guess I've, I always had that kind of mindset, Which, and like it. I just like I was like I'm just, I can just sell something. I'm gonna figure out something to sell. I'm not gonna go work somewhere. I love that. That actually makes me think too. Like, what a great lesson to learn at such a young age, just in general. You know, the the basics of cost and right, and work, <laughs> yeah. <I'd> say. <laughs> so. You've given us so much great advice so far. The three things that have stuck out to me so far is listen to what people want. So listen to what your customers and the market is telling you. Don't outsource or hire too quickly. And then um, change with the market. Pivot. Yes. That, those are all such great things. But you bring up your parents, and that's such a good point. Um, can, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you think of anything – that they advice that they gave to you that has stuck with you, especially in those beginning days, years, oh, that, hell yeah, um, would be helpful. Yeah, I, I'm, that's not on the spot <laughs> at all. Us. Hell yeah, my dad has always said, "Live below your means." Um, he's okay. always been super adamant about living below your means, and he's always told me, "Social security is not going to exist when you're older." And, <laughs> Uh, my my dad, He's right. as I mentioned, my dad's a doctor and a small business owner, and he drove this POS car piece of <laughs> junk, y'all. I'm talking like dangerous to drive. And when I was in high school, and I'm like, Dad, like get a new car. Like he, my parents are have given me, my sister and me, the world. We're so lucky. I got a car when I was 16 that I did not have to pay for. And my dad was driving this old piece of junk. Like, <laughs> oh, man. So my dad is just, they've always told me, live below your means and be frugal. Um, so that sticks out to me big. And, I mean, when I started making six figures, like, I did not, like, yeah, I started, like, I mean, partying more. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I remember I moved into a high-rise downtown. But, like, I remember I was very, very adamant about looking up, like, recommended budgets about how much you should spend on your rent versus how much you're making. And I remember being like very, very careful about it and making sure I was at like a really healthy margin, even in my personal spending, like, yeah. okay, is it okay if I spend this? I'm like moving into this high rise, like how much percentage of my rent is that? Okay. It's a third of the recommended, whatever. I'm fine. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So be yeah. frugal and live below your means. That's great. Yeah. I love it. Because you have to say for a rainy day, man, I can talk about a few rainy days I've had, <laughs> like yeah, when we were what, pivoting. Yes. I was going to say, what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned in the past, you know, since 2009? 
Well, you know, kind of something I've already I harped on, which is uh, listening to the market and changing and with the market. Um, so when my sales were going down a lot, about five, six years in the business, five years, six years in the business, and um, I decided to launch Bridesmaid. Good, it's a good thing I was saving for a rainy day because I had to invest quite a bit of money to get this Bridesmaid business going. Um, so. It's when you're running a business, you always have to save for those rainy days and not every year is going to be blown out of the water. You're going to have dip years. And so you have to save to make it through for longevity. And um, so I had a, with the extreme growth of the bridesmaid line, I thought, okay, well, what am I going to tackle next? And I decided to launch a bridal line. Yes. Well, the bridal line is probably one of my biggest mistakes that I didn't take my own advice for. Listen to your customers. I did not have a single customer ever ask me, why don't you sell bridal gowns? Yeah. And I decided to launch, I decided to spend several hundred thousand dollars investing in a bridal line that, guess what, didn't work. Really? <laughs> People don't want to do, don't want to shop for bridal gowns online. They want to go to the boutique and when you think about it, it just comes down to a sheer numbers game. When you're brides, when you're bridal shopping, you go try on a hundred gowns. And yeah. shopping online, I mean, you order one or two, and it just it it didn't work. So it was actually just a distraction from our website. So I actually pulled the bridal line within less than a year of launching it. Gotcha, making hard Which decisions. Yeah, that was a really tough pill to swallow because I had like thrown my heart and soul into it and it was fun designing for bridal. And I thought I was going to be like the online bridal destination. And I thought we were going to like grow the brand in that direction and yeah, um, swift kick in the butt. <laughs> uh. I feel like that's such good learning though. You know, I think most people let that could let them take it, it you out, but I feel like you've been through so much that you know that you're just going to keep listening to your customers and doing what you've been doing. Right. And another big thing that you that's really important is cutting your losses for something that's not working. Yeah. And swallowing your pride and just changing. Um, a lot of people just keep dipping into the bowl because they're like, I've already invested. I've already invested this much in it. I'm just going to keep my head down and make it work. Like yeah. sometimes it's not going to work and you need to change up what you're doing. And that's okay because I'm, I mean, that's okay. Things have to change. So yeah. w with the dress, is there something else since you pulled them offline or is there something you're going to do with them? Cause I'm sure you have inventory. Uh, I've, yeah, you're, it's pretty lucky if you're a friend of mine these days, cause you can get a $2,000 bridal gown complimentary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I've got some pretty phenomenal gowns. Literally um, they're amazing. It makes yeah, me sad beautiful. because, Oh, you see them in person and you're like, wow, that is incredible. Um, so we've explored the idea of like wholesaling to boutiques, um, like the best sellers in the collection Yeah, that's and it's kind idea. of approaching. Yeah, it, it is. But it's like, once again, it doesn't go with my business model that I've been that I've been yeah. doing that works is e commerce direct to consumer. Um, and it's I feel like it would be kind of a distraction. So it's actually been I actually have like 500 bridal gowns sitting in our office right now. 
um, oh that I don't know what to do with. So let me know if you figure that out. Yeah, well, <laughs> listeners, if you have an idea for Michelle, you can send him to us at yeah. our Instagram. It could, it could be slept a- in my makeup podcast. <laughs> Help me out. Yeah. There could, there's for sure a lot of win-win ideas out there. Yeah, sure. yeah somebody uh, give me some. I need some help. <laughs> I think that's important, though, Michelle. And I just um, admire you about the just knowing when to. I think that not only does just your heart and your soul pours into this idea that you have, but I think also for some people that maybe ego gets in the way, and maybe you people should you know pull the pull the plug a lot sooner maybe than what they did. And I'm just curious, did you have like a mentor in your life or anybody that was helping you make that decision or does it sounds like a lot of this just comes, you're just born for it. It comes naturally, but did you make that decision on your own or with your husband or was there maybe an outside source or mentor that was kind of like you consulted with and kind of helped you make that decision? Um, Lauren, that's a great question. I wish that I was bold enough to have gone and um, found a mentor and done that. But I, like I said, when I began, I just, I, I more so don't talk about what I'm going to do and I just do it. And I mm-hmm. kind of just keep my head down. It's so good to connect and make, um, ne- I mean, networking and PR are my biggest weaknesses. I think networking and finding mentors is so amazing to do. Um, but I mean, my biggest mentor is my husband. My husband's a, he's really a genius with business. And I feel lucky every day that I get to work with him. And he was really been a huge help in making some major decisions. And he's actually our CFO. And so he helps uh, break down the number. It's so nice having somebody that I 100% trust with the numbers because we have the same bank account <laughs> that can, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that can, you know, sum up everything and do all of the reporting. And then we can go over it together to make the big decisions. But um, he's been a huge help with making those hard decisions. And uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's pretty amazing. I feel really lucky that we get, we get to, we yeah, get to, Team, yeah, that's team it's so. That. Sorry, it's so funny because I love her, her husband, which is awesome. When you have a best friend, you love their husband. But when I was asking <laughs> Bobby, I was like, "What should we ask Michelle on our podcast?" Which Bobby's my husband, and he he said, "You should ask her how she landed such an amazing husband." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it. Michael, they love each love other. Bobby. Yeah. yeah, they do. They've got some man crush going on there, yeah, which is it's amazing. How could they not? Yeah, they're both pretty (laughs) awesome. Um, Yeah, it's been interesting trying to work together. And Lauren, I want to hear some of this about you and Chris, because I know you guys. Yeah, I was actually, uh, you speaking of working with husbands, I wanted to chat about that too, just a little bit and maybe others can relate. But when Chris and I decided to start our real estate investing business, we Obviously, it was just the two of us. And a lesson that we learned pretty quickly in was that we were both trying to do everything. And there was a lot of things. Obviously, we both have our um, strengths. And luckily for us, it sounds like just like you and Michael, we our strengths really complement each other very well. And But what we realized is we were kind of getting down the road and we were both stressing out about or getting overwhelmed 
with certain tasks that we didn't both need to be working on. So what we did eventually, (laughs) what we did eventually was we were like, okay, you know what, Chris, you are really great. He's the numbers guy, same as, same as y'all. And so, yeah, like he can get buried in a spreadsheet for days and just love it. And, um, and I'm more of kind of, my strength is more on the relationship and networking side. And so once we were able to kind of identify our strengths, we were able to kind of separate responsibilities and that just took it. It was a huge relief for us. And it not only that, but it just helped kind of streamline the business as well. And for, for us, we're not at a point where we can justify, um, outsourcing or hiring. However, so, you know, there are still a lot of tasks that we have to do. Like I do all the bookkeeping and it's not something I enjoy. I am good at it, but I kind of dread it every month. So, <laughs> so we're still, I love, I Lauren, I love, and one of the podcasts that you guys have recorded, it's been the most, one of the most inspirational, helpful things for me. It's so I want to reiterate it here. It's when you said, if you, and you were talking about your bookkeeping and you said, if there's a task that you wanted, you don't want to do, there's like two things. You either do it immediately or you do nothing. Yeah. And the nothing is you have to be like, stare at a wall. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I seriously, <laughs> let me just tell you, I seriously walk through that practice every month. I just did it the other day because I have a reminder where I try to do, keep up with all the bookkeeping on the 15th of each month. So that way I'm not just cramming, which I also do a lot, but, um, but no, I do that exercise and it sounds so silly and dumb, but it really works. So um, I know I've done it. And then I'm like, okay, well, what am I doing? I might as well just get the task done. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, with. okay, well, this is a big waste of time. So. <laughs> but, but so that was a huge lesson for us was just um, taking, taking the time to recognize what, what we are good at and just communicating that. And so for you and Michael, has there do you have any tips maybe for other couples out there that work together or not even just couples, but friends or business partners? And, um, but actually also, I want you to touch specifically to your husband about how do you keep kind of business separate from your marriage and personal life? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an interesting question. I would say that it's not separate. And a lot of people are like, you have to separate your work and personal life, Mm -hmm. but my husband and I love being entrepreneurs. I mean, he was an entrepreneur before I met him. I mean, when we met, that was a huge connection for us is that we were both entrepreneurs and we love talking about business. So mm-hmm. for us, it's not separate. I mean, we talk about work all the time. We talk about work when we're in bed at night, like, but we respect when each other do not want to talk about it. Right. So for example, I tried to bring up something about the numbers to him as he was cooking dinner last night. And he looked at me and he's like, I can't talk about this right now. And I'm like, cool, got it. Check. (laughs) We'll table that for tomorrow. Um, So I think staying in your lane is a huge thing. It's awesome that you and Chris have like compliment each other. Um, I'd say that Michael and I compliment each other like pretty well too. And a major problem that we had is we had both run businesses before we started working together and we were both the boss. And you can't have two bosses in one company. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been it's been interesting trying to like figure out, you know, like dynamics and how I run an office versus how he used to run the office of the business that he ran mm-hmm. and it's been really fun trying to mix our styles because you know, there's pros and cons to both of our styles. Yeah. So it's been 
I'd say the biggest thing is respect, Mm -hmm. like respecting each other's workflow, respecting each other's management styles and um, seeing like, okay, well, this works, this works for me, this doesn't work for me, like, and just respecting each other and respecting each other in front of our team. Um, Those are our biggest things. And we actually have respect in our vows. Um, We wrote our vows and uh, respect and open and honest communication are huge. Like if, you know, like, and don't sweep stuff under the rug. I mean, it's, it's really a lot of basic relationship principles that go with working together. It just intensifies it um, because you, you spend that much more time with each other and you can have that many more conflicts because um, you're, with each other that yeah. much more but I love that. um, that's good yeah I mean it's really just basic basic relationship stuff you know uh, open it. honest communication respect yeah. um yeah that's so great. who's yeah. the boss <laughs> <laughs> let's get down to that fact who's the boss Mike well really is <laughs> He'll, he'll, it's funny because we have people that come in. We've had p- several people, like when we go look at like real estate property, cause we're like thinking about buying our next uh, building that we're going to office out of. And, you know, when we do things like that, or we go to the bank or something, it's like people always assume that it's Michael's company that he started, even though it's a bridesmaid dress. Seriously? So funny. It kills me. It kills me. It ki- it's yeah, it kills me. Like our FedEx rep that comes in and knows our numbers he assumed that like Michael was like the founder and I'm like, Oh my God, no, I ran this business for so many years before. And granted, um, I couldn't do this without him these days. He's a huge, important piece. And, um, he's also a lot of my like driving force and, you know, I mean, I can't say enough amazing things about him, but, um, but no, it's my company and I started it and it's, um, yeah. you know, it's been no my respect. baby. Boss babe. Yeah. <laughs> Women taking over the world. <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Something that road. we haven't really touched on and I'm just curious because I'm so, the fashion industry is, um, I'm just very ignorant, ignorant towards it, but having lived in China, it intrigues me a little bit to hear just kind of your journey on, well, first of all, even asking if, um, if you guys manufacture overseas or if you keep that in the U S but just kind of how, cause I know firsthand after living there for four years that the way of doing business over there could not be more different <laughs> than here. And that, that takes yeah. a while, you know, to just the culture, the cultural difference, but in the business sense as well. So tell us a little bit just quickly about your um, experience and journey. And if you do manufacture overseas now, how did you get to where it's just going well? Right. Manufacturing is huge for any product. I mean, it's your lifeline for the business. You don't have anything unless you have that manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of other business, small business owners that, you know, they get a bad, bad manufacturer run from a new manufacturer and it, you know, it puts them out of business or it puts them in the hole for the year. It's the most important piece mm-hmm. to the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I started my first few years made in the U.S. Um, it was an unsurvivable margin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to say that we were made in U.S. when I started. I thought it was really important. And then when I realized for what my market wants to buy something, the price that I can sell something at, it cannot be made here. And that's just bottom line. I'm really proud of the fact that I do manufacture overseas because we have an amazing factory that meets all amazing standards that should be met. 
Um, manufacturing in China is very different these days than it was 30 years ago. Um, there's there's really good standards that have to be met. Um, I'm really proud that the work that I offer in the U.S. is at a really fair wage, much higher than like my warehouse team. The, our wages are above, very much so above average of the typical um, positions that you would find around our city. And so I'm very proud of our setup and we do manufacture overseas and it's what is able to, uh, it is what makes me able to offer healthcare Mm. to my current team. So I am proud of the fact that we manufacture overseas. We could not make these bridal gowns or well, bridal or bridesmaid in the U S and sell with any kind of profit margins. So, um, Figuring out where to manufacture is an interesting ticket. Back in the day when I started, there wasn't it wasn't Alibaba and you can just source anything. Um, you have to be careful with who you source off of yes. those kinds of sites also. Really careful. Yeah. Um, so I actually decided uh, two years in, I was like, I have to go overseas if I wanted to be doing this long term. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend that yeah. had knew somebody there in China that was teaching English. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, if you fly over here, I'll find some apparel. I'll drive around the city and find some apparel company manufacturers. And if you come, I don't know anything about apparel, but if you come over here and we go to them, I'm willing to help figure this out with you. I think that's the best way is find some connection. And, you know, just it kind of goes back to the basis of any business. It's, it's the relationship business. So. Yeah, it is, Lauren. So yeah, I mean, I had a friend of a friend who was teaching English there. And so I just hopped on, I was like 23. And I just went over there. And this is before like my phone would work over there and stuff. And um, it was, I was in Guangzhou, China, and I was in the manufacturing area where nobody spoke English. It was a very interesting few weeks of my life. I wish I would have lived there then. That would have been a really fun trip. (laughs) Oh my gosh, so funny. So we went and visited some places and found somebody that would make that would make some stuff for us. And you know what? I still am in con they don't do the the those first factories mm-hmm. that I used in Guangzhou are not who does our main production right now because okay. the it's a whole different quality level that we deal with these days. But um I still keep in touch with them and they do small runs for us here and there of um yeah. of items. And who so. you use today, did that stem so from cool. those relationships or it's all relationship okay. based. It's a relationship of, you know, reaching out and networking and finding finding new contacts. And I actually have a source man these days that I don't have to go overseas anymore. And he now does that. So awesome. it's he's actually there right now and he's working on some pre-development at a new factory that we're going to be sourcing some seriously amazing new fabrics from. Well, it's good so, to yay. hear about because uh, I feel like nobody talks yeah. about the actual manufacturing part. Like I've listened to lots of pad- podcasts on people who have started businesses, but they never mention like the nitty gritty. So I think it's good yeah, to hear about. Yeah, and I about. feel like honestly it could be a whole episode is just like how to how to get into that, how to maneuver it because it's I know it I know it's not easy and um for you to have good luck with the first few, I think is really Oh, <laughs> I did not have good luck with the first one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, there was a lot of mistakes, too. There was a lot of people that want to rip you off in the industry. And there's a lot of there's a lot of places where, you know, they charge for things that they didn't 
don't need to be paying for. Yeah. And um, I've actually manufactured in Guadalajara, Mexico. Also, my husband and I were together at that point, And it was actually a, a contact through one of his friends. He randomly knew somebody in Guadalajara where there's um, a small apparel uh, market. So we went oh. down there and drove around found some places to make some clothes. That's awesome. Well, um, we are running out of time, but I feel like we could sit and talk for days. I, we still have so many questions for you, but, um, I, since you do listen to our podcast, thank you. I think you know that we try to end each podcast with a fun little challenge for ourselves and whoever wants to join us. And so whenever we have guests on the show, we love for them to assign us our challenge for the week. So we would love for you to (laughs) hand it to us. (laughs) Well, I think it's really fitting because, um, you know, I want to give a big, uh, hats off to my husband for being such a big help. And, um, I want to challenge everybody to making your significant other or your best friend or your parents um, doing like an effort, something special to make them feel valued this week. Um, Even if it's just, I try at least once a week to like put my phone down at night and give my husband a foot rub and it doesn't happen every week, but I'm going to also challenge myself to do that this week for him. (laughs) Wow. I love that. It's funny where I'm in this uh, group and we're revisiting the book, the five love languages. And I, before we got started, I kind of just gave myself an intention for this study to really, even though we already know each other's love language to really make a goal, like each week to love do something for my spouse in his love language. Cause even though I know it, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't mean it yes. happens. So I love that. I love this. Yeah. My husband's is touch and I don't give him enough foot rubs. So you know what? I'm <laughs> going to do that this week. <laughs> thank Michelle. Love thank it. you so much for doing this with us. It's kind of funny. Obviously I've been around for this whole journey <laughs> and I love entrepreneurship and I love talking about business and I we love talking to you and Michael about all of it, but I feel like I even learned some things today that I didn't know. So that's why I love this podcast. Cause you kind of open up a little bit. Well, um, Michelle, Michelle, where can, where can people find oh, you? Shop revelry.com. And our handle on Instagram is at shop revelry. That's revelry with an R. And, um, I want to say thanks to you guys for doing this podcast. You guys are so inspirational and all of you are, I mean, all of you guys are just amazing with your own endeavors and like, I just love being able to listen to you guys on your podcast. So please keep doing it. And I'm like, so honored that y'all asked me. So thank well, you. Thank you so much. We love you we love so much. You. So yay. <laughs> Bye, right. Bye. Bye everybody. See Bye. you next week. Bye.